afternoon. It feels good to be back and happier than ever. It's been an interesting week this week with a bunch of stuff happening, including all the good releases of comics. And let me tell you, issue number three of Superman Lost keeps on hitting, and that's where we're going to start our show today. Going into the world of DC. Because you know what? DC has actually been doing pretty well. Anyway, let's jump into it and talk about issue number three of Superman Lost. Anyway, uh, Lois isn't happy because there was a bill that she was supporting that did not pass. She lashes out because apparently this bill was super important. We don't know what's in the bill, but we get a little bit of a tidbit. She starts to clean the room and we get notified that it's been 11 days since Clark was back and she begins to complain that she's not a maid. She pulls out a Superman suit, but it's different than the ones we've seen before. And not to mention, it has a broken comm attached to it. We go back to when Superman was still in space, where he's been in there for about one year and still hasn't cleared the solar system of the planet he was in. The machine notes that it will take another seven months to get past the solar system, but it's only a guess. He talks about the doubt he's been having since leaving Victor on the planet because he felt like Victor wanted him to leave quickly and wonders if he's actually abandoned the people that was on that planet. The com asks if he wants to go back, but then he's greeted by visitors, which turn out to be space dolphins. And he... And he actually tells the Khan that he's happy to see them because space dolphins have actually gone to Earth. And he also notes how friendly they are because of how much Lobo likes him and mentions that Lobo talked to him about it when he was with the Justice League. Which is actually kind of funny when you realize, yes, Lobo was once part of the Justice League. Very funny stuff. Anyway... Uh, they can travel faster than light and travel throughout the cosmos. He asks them to take him home to Earth, and they go. Superman notes how he took for granted how easy it was to travel the universe with the Justice League, going through wormholes, and notes how the slightest miscalculation could have left all of them stranded. The dolphins lead him to a planet where others are trapped. He goes to the planet to see what's with the planet and if there's any species down there basically making the dolphins trapped like they build a machine or something or whatever so once he's there he's attacked by living sand and he tries to talk to it after a bit he adjusts his ears to a frequency where he can understand them they note that the dolphins are actually their prey or not prey predators and that the dolphins eat them and they were just defending themselves as he notes that they are very small organisms at a micro level, but are able to do so much because they work together. He convinces them to adjust the planet's field to basically deter the dolphins instead of just capturing them and letting them die. They're very hesitant, but he convinces them and they basically let the dolphins go. He tries to talk to the dolphins again and to basically tells them, hey, I want to go back to Earth but they leave taking a machine he was using to power that suit that Lois took out because the suit basically allows him to absorb solar energy, but the machine he was using that the dolphins actually took with them basically repowered the suit because there isn't a yellow sun. 
In his frustration, he actually destroys the calm, and his suit is in low power because there's not a yellow sun near him, and the comic ends. I gotta say, this was actually pretty good. I definitely enjoyed the comic and showing how helpless Superman was at times, because that's the problem with a lot of these comics now. You have someone as powerful as Superman, you're trying to write a good story, but a lot of times it's hard because what do you do with someone who's so powerful and basically invincible? It's hard. And I'm super glad that they're taking their time to do something and tell a story where Superman, even with all his power, is helpless. Really good. I'm enjoying the series, wondering where else it's going to go because we have yet to see Clark basically interacting with people besides Lois and Bruce in the present after he spent so many years in space. So definitely really great. Can't wait for the next issue. And speaking of space, Marvel has released a new Alien issue with a new series. So it's not like the ones I talked about before. New characters, new issue, same old aliens. Anyway, this is called Alien 2023. Yeah, they're not that fancy with the title. <laughs> you just got to go by the year if you're going to look for it. Anyway, this new series takes place on an ice planet where the beginning shows that a lot of the aliens have been frozen over and a family that is there for research and is a research team is trying to find water because they have apparently been contracted by a company. Anyway, uh, the daughter is down in a hole trying to find any evidence, take samples, and her father is above and he's not able to do it because he only has one arm. Anyway, while she's down there, she actually penetrates a block of ice that melts her pickaxe and it's revealed to be a frozen face hugger. Don't worry, it doesn't grab her because it's still frozen. Except for, of course, the bleeding part, which is melty and I guess acid takes a while to basically break down ice that's been super frozen. I don't know the math, I don't know the science, but there we go. Anyway, uh, the father doesn't like what he sees, especially when the daughter brings it up. Her daughter holds, he basically tells her to hold off contacting their mission lead, which is his wife and her mother, but she said it was already too late. Uh, she basically, the mother, says to bring it back, and it's revealed that she is pregnant and is still trying to contact their company for them to send help because they've been stranded on that planet. She tells them to bring the specimen in, and once they do, they freeze it. After that, it shows that two weeks have gone by after she's tried to communicate. Uh, once they're getting down ready to eat, she mentions that they should be sending a ship soon and the husband is kind of surprised and asks why. Because she says she sent the specimen information to the company which makes the father angry because she did it without running it by them. Which she states she doesn't have to do because she's the team lead. Which kind of makes sense. And she mentions it's their ticket off world. They go back and forth a bit and I mean... I can see where she's coming from. She's the team lead. He mentions that this isn't just an ordinary team, that they're family. He does have a point, but I sense this guy is very, very quick to anger. Anger issues. Anyway, uh, before they can go any further, they hear a noise and they see that it's a ship. The father notes that it's a Wayland Corp ship and they should lock down the base. Uh, once the Wayland ship lands, a bunch of soldiers with guns come in and there's a gentleman named Wendell there. Hero arrives and begins to talk to them, introducing himself. 
The mother, whose name is Dr. Zahn, asks him to leave, that they're having a family dinner. But Wendell mentions that they're basically family, and to what she says? She says, the hell you mean? And he reveals that Wayland bought their company, Tailbot, Tollbot, something like that, and basically owns the research base, the assets, and is now their employer. Mr. Zahn, the husband, is not happy to hear this, especially when Wendell asks to see the lab. He lashes out and grabs Wendell by the throat. Again, anger issues. And after he does this, he's basically somewhat talked down, but one of the soldiers knocks him out with hitting his gun against the back of his head. I mean, seriously, what was this guy thinking? Grabbing the dude with the soldiers by the neck. Yeah, I, again, I don't think he's one for thinking things through. Uh, Wendell tells them to basically bring him to the brig. Meanwhile, while everyone is distracted, the daughter, Zash, escapes through the air vent and basically goes where the specimen is and puts it in her backpack. Meanwhile, while she's doing this, we see that the ice in the container has mostly melted, most likely from the acid blood still coming out of the wound. Wendell talks to the doctor about how they found out about the specimen and how they're interested in it. She begins to talk about how valuable the specimen is and how it relates to one of their projects called Project Alpha and how they can help each other. Because one, she wants to study the specimen because of how easily it's able to adapt. While she's talking about their ability to do that, the comic kind of pans over to an alien trapped in ice and the ice is breaking, and it basically breaks, releasing the alien, and the comic ends. I gotta say, this issue is kinda cool. It kinda shows us a new, the new batch of characters, and unlike the previous series, these guys aren't robots. These guys are actually human beings trapped in a planet full of ice, and from the title, it looks like there's only gonna be one alien. I could be wrong, but still, it's going to be kind of refreshing getting one alien taking out so many soldiers. Not to mention, I wonder how this is all going to play out, especially with the face hugger there. And I mean, let's be honest, something is going to go wrong and it's going to be fun to see how they all have to work together if they have to do that. Again, great first issue, super excited to see what comes next. And I mean, with all these alien issues coming out, they need to make a movie. I know they're supposed to make a TV show with FX, but honestly, they need a big budget because it's been a while since we got a proper alien anything that wasn't Prometheus and the previous Alien Covenant, which was eh. But I mean, if they can do something awesome like Prey for Predator, they can easily do something similar to Alien. And yep, that's about it for comics. Moving on to TV shows. And today we're going to be talking about the newest Walking Dead spinoff, Dead City, and how it takes place in good old New York City. So basically how the story goes is that raiders have kidnapped Maggie's son and basically did that to get to Negan because I guess someone told somebody that the best way to get to Negan was to kidnap the son of the father he bashed in with his bat. I guess they're associated, so they thought that was the best idea. But it's revealed in the trailer that the reason why Maggie's son was kidnapped was of course to get to Negan, like I said previously. Because an old associate wants revenge. 
And now Negan and Maggie have to work together to save her son in New York City. I don't know if they have the budget to fully flesh this out, but it's The Walking Dead. We'll see how it goes. And it's insane that it's getting another spinoff. I mean, at this point, they're not beating a dead horse. They're rattling the bones. I don't get it. The show's popularity has dipped. And I guess that AMC is trying to fund more shows because currently after Better Call Saul ended, they don't have any other shows with the quality and the popularity. They really don't. I can't think of another AMC show that you're like, oh my God, I got to see this next season. It's not there, but we'll see how it goes. I'm not a big fan of The Walking Dead because it just dragged on. And at this point, it's going to kill the zombie genre. I mean, heck, we're still supposed to be getting, uh, I guess, a Michonne slash Rick miniseries that apparently was supposed to be a movie, but they changed it. I At this point, I don't know. I don't care. And hopefully something good comes out of all this. Because at this point, uh, the Korea is doing better at the zombie genre than us. Heck, they came out with Train to Busan, which was one of the best, the best zombie movies I had seen in a long while. And for some reason, we're remaking that into Train to New York. We didn't have to remake that. Train to Busan was a perfect zombie movie. And nowadays, I mean, heck, we had Parasite, a Korean film win an Oscar. People can read now. We can read the freaking subtitles. We don't need a remake. This isn't the 70s or early 2000s. Anyway, I've been going on for a little bit on my rant. That's it for TV shows. Moving on to movies. And Meg 2, the trench trailer has released. And while it does look vastly, and I mean vastly different from the book... I gotta say, I am definitely going to enjoy this movie. Now, I get it. People who read the book will say, but this isn't what was supposed to happen to Jonah. In the book, him and his family were sued because of what happened with the shark. And they're not going to follow the book and how serious it is. Honestly, the first movie didn't follow the book. And I enjoyed it because it was just a fun action movie. And they didn't take themselves too seriously. And it looks like it's going to double down on that with the sequel. And of course, they're going to be going down to the trench. Something goes wrong. And this time, three sharks escape with other creatures from the trench. And you know what? I'm happy that they're not going to take themselves too seriously. That they're going to have fun. Show us action scenes, crazy stunts. You know what? We need that. And I really hope that this movie is even better than the first one when it releases on August 2nd, because like I said, we definitely need some crazy and nonstop action. Anyway, another sequel has been announced, and while we don't have a trailer for it, I'm excited because this is Beetlejuice 2. Yes, after 30 plus years, Beetlejuice is coming back with Michael Keaton coming back to play Beetlejuice, Wyona Ryder is coming back, And Tim Burton is returning to direct. Jenna Ortega is going to be in the film and is going to be playing the daughter of Wyona Ryder's character. And we're getting William Dafoe as an unknown character. And I really hope that he plays like a villain that Beetlejuice is going to defeat. Because William Dafoe is such a great actor 
that he could be playing a human being and I'm going to be excited to see what he's going to do. I honestly can't wait for Beetlejuice to come back and I hope it's good. And you know what's the funny thing about this too? It, this is the second character that Michael Keaton is playing from his biggest 80s role 30 plus years later. First it's Batman, now it's Beetlejuice. Again, two iconic roles 30 years prior and he's returning to play both of them. You know what? Good for him. I can't wait to see how this goes and I'm praying it's good because it needs to be. I'm wondering what song they're going to use. Maybe they'll do uh, the same song they did before for the dinner scene or they'll come up with a new one. But I'm just hoping it's iconic. Anyway, moving on, I wanted to talk about the Super Mario movie and this is going to be a spoiler review because again, it's been a long time and I think everybody's I mean, everybody's seen it. If you haven't seen it, that's on you. So let's go ahead and get started. I remember going to this theater, seeing Bowser's ship. And it's funny because it basically, the first few minutes of the film was what we were shown in the trailer with Bowser destroying the Penguin's castle to get the star. Now, one thing I did like was showing Mario and Luigi's life inside of New York City with them basically being part of Brooklyn, going to a house to do the plumbing stuff, basically setting it up. And it's funny because it was very similar to what the original Mario movie did in the beginning. Of course, you didn't have the dumb, oh, Mario, Mario, Luigi, Mario stuff. That was just stupid. Anyway, showing that they're actually brothers that live with their family and they're trying to accomplish their dream. I really like that. You had the cameo from the original Mario voice actor there and you had this villain called Spike, which honestly... Well, he wasn't a villain. He was basically a their former boss. I actually think he might turn into Wario. I actually think that. Maybe I'm wrong, but that would be actually kind of funny. Anyway, and I liked how they basically set everything up for them to go to the Mushroom Kingdom with basically a pipe going off. They try to go to fix it in secret, but end up failing and end up in basically deep New York where they see this pipe Luigi accidentally goes in there first and then Mario follows him and I like that it kind of sets up the story and it's not leaving anything to chance basically it's not dragging on something that isn't important we get that set up we get to meet their family and so on and so forth one thing I did like is the fact that they showed the difference in worlds when Luigi gets to Bowser's kingdom they made the dry bones look so like scary because think about it, we played Mario all the time. Dry bones aren't that scary. You just jump on them and they fall down. But the thing is, unless you have like that mushroom that gives you a power up or you're good with jumps, I mean, those things are kind of scary because of how fast they regenerate. And they were chasing him and they were pretty like terrifying to put yourself in that position. And once he got to the castle and you see the shy guys right behind him, oh, wow, they, that's actually kind of scary. <laughs> I mean, we kind of like, oh, it's a shy guy. What's so scary about that? And if you actually meet one, you're like, ooh, that's terrifying. Especially with the masks. Anyway, I did like the Mushroom Kingdom. I did like the music and how they basically integrated the music from the Mario games. I liked how they kind of made Peach a warrior. I get some people complained about that, but I don't, I don't see the complaint. She was basically a playable character in other Mario games where she actually went on her own adventure to save Mario. But again, I really liked uh, what they did with it. I liked, well, I didn't kind of like how useless 
the toads are. But then again, I mean, they're kind of useless besides the one toad in uh, the video games. One thing I did like was you had uh, that one toad follow them around. He was the comic relief, but he actually did help. I liked how they implemented kind of like uh, the obstacle course where Mario had to do his own stuff. That was pretty cool. Uh, I liked the plants. I can't remember its name, but I thought that was funny. And like how you actually had to eat a mushroom, very similar to Paper Mario. Sure, I mean, he failed and she still took him with him after revealing that that was the whole plan. But one thing I did like was once they reached the Donkey Kong, how they kind of explored the difference in kingdoms, how the Donkey Kong kingdom made the go-karts were able to drive and that was their entire kingdom, how you got around. And when it came to Donkey Kong, I didn't mind Seth Rogen actually playing Donkey Kong. He was actually pretty good. Sure, I mean, he didn't change his voice, but I just fit so well. And I really liked how they showed the other Kongs that you really didn't think you were going to meet. Like you saw Diddy Kong, you saw uh, his old Kong, uh, I think his name is Grouchy Kong or Cranky Kong or something like that. And when it came to the final battle, it was kind of impressive that even with Donkey Kong's help, like fighting Bowser was a hard thing to do because Bowser was just that much more powerful. And I did like how the dynamic, because if you think about it, Donkey Kong was Mario's first enemy in the video game series. There was no Bowser. The first game Mario came upon was Donkey Kong, and they had that rivalry, and it turned into respect throughout the movie. That was really cool, and at the end, when they were in Brooklyn, they touched the uh, freaking star, and they both became immune and beat Bowser, that was kind of cool. Now, did I think that Luigi was kind of left out for most of the stuff? Yes, I did think that he was left out, especially since this movie was called Super Mario Brothers. But, I mean, he did have his uh, highlights here and there. And besides, when it comes to a Super Mario game or a Mario Brothers game, Mario's usually the star anyway. But I really liked the movie. Peaches was just fantastic. I absolutely loved it. And I love the fact that it was in the Hot 100 billboards. I mean, heck, that song might win an Oscar, so good on them. But yeah, it was a great movie. I really liked it. The after credit, it kind of reminded me of the Godzilla, the 1999 film, where we see that throughout the rubble, there was an egg there. And of course, we all know what this egg is. It's a Yoshi egg. So Yoshi's definitely coming back for the next sequel, and they're already talking about spinoffs. I'm very curious to see what they do. Because this film went over a billion dollars. This is the first video game adaptation movie that did that. And it feels great that they are able to accomplish so much. And they're probably going to do this again because of how much money they made. Because honestly, it was a great movie. It's great for all ages. My dad enjoyed it because he remembered playing Mario on the Super Nintendo. Yes, he's that old. And he was able to basically see some of the references. Heck, I love the whole blue shell thing when they were basically on Rainbow Road. How the dude said, screw it, turned into a blue shell and just showed how much powerful that is and annoying that is. Again, I definitely rate this a 10 out of 10. And I honestly can't wait for the sequel or any spinoffs. Anyway, that's it for movies. Moving on to video games. And to start us off, we're going to be talking about V Rising and how it's getting a free expansion called The Secrets of the Glumrot, which will be giving players who own the game a new story and a new mystery. 
And that's actually pretty cool. V Rising was actually a decent game, especially for how small the studio was. And I'm excited that it's getting not only an expansion, but a free one. That's really great. I really like the studio and what it did with what it had. I mean, heck, look at uh, Arcane Studios. They did something with vampires, and it was terrible, and they had a big budget. And you have this studio, which, honestly, I'm kind of upset with myself that I didn't look up the name, who did something great with V Rising. I really hope this studio keeps on getting support and releases great games. And because, honestly, that's all you need to gain a fan base. Release good games. Do something, like release expansions. And talking about releasing expansions, another game has released another expansion. And here's the funny thing, this game is not going to die. It's been seven years. Seven years since Xenoverse 2 has been released. And it's still, still shooting out DLCs. And this one, the Hero of Justice Pack 2, will now have Piccolo, Orange, and Beast Gohan available. And apparently there's going to be a new mission, and I guess a new boss battle. But at this point, I'm just impressed, impressed that this game is that old and they're still releasing stuff. If they ever make a third game, I'm buying the season pass. I don't care for next if it's an extra $15. I'm buying it because at this point, they have proven that they will release content for years. I mean, if they released another Xenoverse game and it takes eight years for them to make another one, cool. I'm still going to be playing Xenoverse 3 because at this point, I mean, shoot, I wasn't expecting them to release DLC past three years. The fact that they're still on seven, you know what? Kudos for them. I really like what they did and I hope they release another game and they would have so many new characters to add in. Anyway, uh, moving on, another game that will not die but it should, is the reboot of Saint Row. And they're releasing their first DLC called The Heist and the Hazard, where they will add three new missions with the end goal of doing a heist on a movie star. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not excited about this. I'm really, really not excited about this because of how disappointing Saint Row was. I mean, I don't know if you guys bought the game, but if you played that, on release, the amount of bugs that were there was insane. I think it rivaled... No, I honestly think that uh, Redfall's bugs were a lot worse. But still, I mean, it wasn't even that good of a game. It's It wasn't... I think it was trying way too hard. Which sucks because, I mean, the original Saint Row game, it wasn't trying too hard. It was just going with the flow. And, I mean, the characters, the stories for this game, it, it wasn't that good. So I'm surprised that they made the amount of money that they did to make a DLC. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll bring people back. But I'm just, it. the game did interest me to play in the first place. So I'm not even going to even humor playing the DLC. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But probably on the nope side. Anyway, a new game that is on Steam's wish list actually looks pretty cool it's called mouse and it's basically a jazz fueled shooter inspired by classic uh, first person shooters and war films and the art style is pretty unique kind of like um popeye mixed with uh, mickey mouse 
but like old sailor boat Mickey Mouse. It looks pretty good. Now it's on the wish list. It's very early. You can see some of the gameplay or very early gameplay and it looks like it's going to be pretty cool and it follows a mouse private detective called John Mouston. Cool. That basically goes out to battle a corrupt city. Like I said, it looks pretty cool. It looks interesting. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, talking about the mobile section of video games, Lord of the Rings Heroes of Middle-Earth is now out. And I guess this is another attempt from EA to get into that gaming mobile market with a strategy-based turn and yeah, it's probably going to fail. But I will say this, I will give them this one compliment, it still looks better than the Gollum game we're getting for the consoles. That is the one compliment they will get from me. Anyway, uh, Call of Duty is releasing another skin pack, and here's the interesting part. It's not another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles person. It's not an action hero. It is Kevin Durant. Yes, Kevin Durant. And he's going to appear as an operator in Warzone 2 and Modern Warfare 2. Apparently, they're doing like an NBA bundle with some blueprints and other styles. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you guys. I haven't played Warzone in months because of how bad it got. And stuff like this doesn't want me to make me come back. Honestly, Fortnite is doing better than Warzone. And that's saying something right there. Hopefully, they do something to change it because, I mean, Call of Duty has been going downhill for a while. And I, they need a win. Speaking of wins, Nintendo has been winning. And you know why? Tears of the Kingdom has dropped. And that game is amazing. They've added so many new mechanics, like building vehicles to help you on your journey. And they basically took the criticisms of the first game and improved upon it. Sure, the first few levels are kind of boring because, of course, it kind of feels like they changed nothing. But once you get more into the game and you explore, it's really cool. Some of the temples, or they're not even called temples anymore, but some of the dungeons are pretty straightforward. Not a lot of puzzles, but once you start exploring, you'll start getting some of that puzzles. And if you weren't a really a big fan of how Breath of the Wild was... You're not going to be a big fan of this because it's more Breath of the Wild than Breath of the Wild was. And one thing that I really like and I find funny is that someone already basically did a speed run of the game and beat it in 40 something minutes, I think. Because again, like Breath of the Wild, you're allowed to explore every region without them having like a hold up, don't do this, you're not a high enough level. Sure, you might die faster, but you can still go through the area and you can go straight to the final boss. I honestly rate this game a 9 out of 10. And you know what? It's going to keep dropping because Nintendo has yet to drop. Okay, let me rephrase that. Because they did drop a Pokemon game, which sucked because they rushed it. Bad graphics. But honestly, the amount of L's Nintendo has taken is far and in between. Because they always win. They almost always win. Anyway, that's it for video games. Moving on to nerd theories. And today for my nerd theory, I honestly think that Kylo Ren will make an appearance in the next Star Wars film. Because one thing that kind of sucks is that honestly, they didn't really know what to do with Kylo Ren at the end of the sequel trilogy. In my opinion, he should have been another like Sasuke from Naruto, a gray Jedi moving across the planets, 
doing what he thinks was right, and then come back. Who knows? I think he actually is going to come back in the newest movie or something like a cameo or reveal that when he disappeared, maybe the force decided to bring him back to life. That would be kind of cool to face the new threat because honestly, that's what they need to do. They need to explore and flesh out a lot of these characters because they never got to do that. You had J.J. Abrams, then you had Ryan Johnson, and then you went back to J.J. Abrams, not knowing exactly what they were going to do or how each style was going to be different. And honestly, the whole whiny thing we got was kind of annoying. Then again, he is related to Anakin, so I guess that's not a big surprise. But still, I think he is going to come back. He's going to make an appearance and have a bigger role. It's Star Wars. Who knows what where they're going to be going? Again, that's my opinion. Heck, he may not even make an appearance. It may be a new bad guy. Honestly, I think instead of it being the Sith being the main bad guy, it should be the Chiss or... It should be that species that is immortal. Maybe do something like that. Who knows? I'm hoping that it's good. I'm praying that it's good. Because a lot of these characters need to be fleshed out. And John Favreau and Dave Filoni have done so much work to bring back Star Wars from the brink. Anyway, again, that's just my theory. Who knows? Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. That's a good thing about theories. It's just a theory until proven fact. Anyway, I'm moving on to current events. Uh, Disney Plus and Hulu for the United States only is going to be combining both apps into one. What makes this very interesting is the fact that you will still be able to purchase them separately. But I'm very curious to see what the cost is going to be for having the apps combined. I mean, if you are thinking, why are they only doing this in the United States? Because in other countries, Disney Plus has all the stuff that would be on Hulu. Because it's not as age-restricted as it is here. So that's why that would be a thing. Now, the reason why I wouldn't get them together in one app is because I kind of get Hulu included with my Spotify. So, I mean, I really don't see the reason of paying extra for Hulu when I already get it free. Uh, Disney Plus isn't that expensive. And with all of them combining it to one, I can see that being a little more costly. But again, it's very interesting. I wonder how they do it because think about it. Disney owns a majority of shares in Hulu. So it would make sense. And I wonder if this would help speed up some green lighted shows, especially now they can do more adult content. Not like really bad adult content, but maybe stuff that was a Hulu original. Very interesting to see. I wonder what the price plan will be. And hopefully it's on the cheaper side. But anyway, that's it for this episode. Thank you guys. Definitely going to be here next week. And I'm actually going to be moving soon. So probably in the next two to three weeks, I will let you guys know when I'll be on hiatus. But anyway, thank you guys for this episode. You guys are the best. Please like, subscribe, and let your friends know. Sayonara. See you later. And have a blessed one. Goodbye.